All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. It was a pretty good weekend. How was yours? Was yours okay? I hosted that uh, screening of Dog Day Afternoon for American Cinematheque down at uh, the Arrow Theater. It was sold out, and it was it was pretty great. I was very excited about it. I've watched that movie three times on TV or on my small screen. I don't think I've ever seen it on the big screen. I'm mildly obsessed with the movie, as some of you know who listen to this show. I just cannot believe the sort of visceral nature of all the performances and of the way it was shot. I I just had a a a kind of cathartic moment with it in a hotel room in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they watched uh, when they uh, showed it on HBO a couple months ago, and then I watched it again, and then I watched half of it again, and then I was just still just as excited to watch a screening of it. And I'll, I'll tell you how that went. Let me do some business here. Today on the show, man, I just, that was, that was some radio guy shit. Let's, let's take care of some business before I get into that story. Uh, Maria Bamford is back. Maria Bamford is back. She's back. She's been on many times, five, five times in the past. Uh, and look, If anyone ever asks me, and you guys know how I feel, I've talked to a lot of comedians. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of comedians in my life. But for me, for where my heart is, Maria Bamford is the best uh, comic working, the the most um, courageous, the most uh, interesting, uh, and and really the, the funniest one. And I've always had a sort of, uh, to me, she, you know, she's on another, another level. And it's, it's almost difficult for me to talk to her like she's just a person because she's uh, kind of uh, a, a kind of, you know, chaotic, ethereal presence to me and just so funny. And uh, she's got a new memoir out, which is kind of mind-blowing in its structure. It's called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult. But don't be deceived. It's not just a comedy memoir. She puts it together in a very funny way. There's a lot of elements to it. and uh, But there is a lot of her life in it. And a lot of it is is very, um, I, I don't want to say disturbing, but jarring. I mean, it is her sort of journey to try to attain some mental health for herself. Uh, all the ups and downs and things that failed and things that worked. And she's very candid about it. And, uh, and there's, like I said, a lot of different little, uh, sub elements to it, uh, to the book. It's, it's, a it's an emotional, it's a disturbing, it's hilarious. It's, it's a great book. So I'm going to talk to her, which is always to me, like, it's like engaging with, uh, the, the id of comedy itself somehow. I, I don't know how else to tell you. Um, and I don't, it's interesting about Maria because I know she's the kind of comic and we talked about it a bit where people like me or people that get her are going to get her deeply because there's no other way to get her. But there are people that are just going to watch her for 30 seconds and go, I don't get it. She seems weird. And that is the, that is the cross that we comics bear sometimes is that you're going to be honest up there and there's just going to be. A lot of people that are like, oh, man, this is sad or that guy's weird or like, what's wrong with that person? You know, it's just the nature of the thing. It's a completely subjective experience. 
And for those who are who are who are touched with the true gift of sort of uh, a type of uh, point of view or, or brilliance, you know, they're going to get that their whole life. And uh, and and Maria. Maria has learned to survive and live, and she is fairly. Uh, she's m- managing well. <laughs> is that she's she's doing good? Uh, but we'll talk in a second. I'm just uh, I'm I'm thrilled and always at the edge of my seat and nervous when I talk to Maria Bamford. So the Dog Day afternoon screening, I just was I I as I said before, I was excited and I had gotten. So I didn't really know what I was going to do to present it because I put pressure on myself and and I think like, do I need to, you know, uh, um, put forth some sort of, uh, you know, intelligent criticism? Do I need to uh, contextualize it? And I've talked to you guys about, you know, my experience with some of these movies I'm watching. But this one, watching it again on the big screen, it keeps revealing itself to me. This is without a doubt. Al Pacino's best work. And I'm talking life's work. It is without, it's his show. Every performance down to the smallest roles are, are going to use the word visceral again and raw and, and without, there, there is not a false note. And watching again was just brain, it was just mind blowing. Again, all of it, every second of it. Uh, but I got this DM from somebody woman a woman named Nancy Nancy Cantor and I'll read you the DM because because I I reached out to her because I wanted her to you know come up on stage with me before the show she said Mark uh, been a, a fan of yours for a long time and I got a notification from American Cinematheque that you'll be hosting a screening of Dog Day Afternoon on August 6th I tried to grab a few ticks but it's sold out I thought I'd reach out to you to tell you about my connection to the film and perhaps you might be able to finagle some tickets for me once you hear it Dog Day Afternoon was my second job in the film business I was Dee Dee Allen's apprentice editor and we just finished up on Arthur Penn's Night Moves when Dog Day Afternoon came along as you probably know at that time apprentice editors did a little more then cleaned the film to get the work print ready for screenings and made lots of boxes to hold the trims and unused film footage. But of course, the real job was to listen and learn. Dee Dee was a big talker, and if you stood behind her for any length of time, you could learn everything you'd ever need to know about story and performance and structure and how to think like a filmmaker. But then there was always the film to be cleaned. It was also my job to get the film to the screening room. On the day we were going to show the first cut to the executives, as well as Mr. Pacino, it was up to me to get it safely from 1600 Broadway to the Gulf and Western building on 59th. So I loaded up the film cans. This was the only copy of the cut film and set them on the corner of Broadway and 50th Street while I hailed a cab to take me uptown. Moments later, I heard a loud crunch behind me I turned and saw that the M50 Crosstown bus had hopped the curb and ran over the film cans. Seeing what happened, I realized I'd never work in the business again, and the only logical thing for me to do was take that cab straight to JFK and get on the next plane to Mexico and never be heard from again. A few breaths later, I gathered my senses and headed to the screening room, praying that there was something left of the print. Someone or something was smiling on me that day because when I showed the projectionist what happened, he opened the cans to find the film reels badly bent, but the film intact. We unspooled it and rewound it onto new reels and no one was ever the wiser. 
I went on to work with Didi on other films and edited my own as well before making a change to go into producing and ultimately wound up working as an executive at Disney for nearly 20 years. But the time I spent as an editor has informed nearly every creative choice I've made, and Dog Day Afternoon was a masterclass in storytelling by a director and an editor who knew exactly how to tell that one. Anyway, so sorry for the long message, but I thought it might add some color for you to the making of the film. Kind wishes, Nancy Cantor. So I reached out to her because I thought, what a great thing, what a great story. The, the fact that this fundamentally New York movie, which is all, New York is the star of the film in a lot of ways, um, that New York had conspired against it through serendipitous horror and crushed the canisters. But uh, it was really, I mean, if, if she, if that had gone a different way, we might not have seen the same cut necessarily because all that was left outside of that print was the negative. Uh, but she told that story and, and, and talked a little about uh, some other stuff about the screening. And it was, uh, it was really a, a beautiful thing. And we, and we all watched the movie. And, you know, it's so relevant. I don't even know how it's relevant on the levels it's relevant around gender issues, around the media, around just chaos, around the sort of like, you know, kind of throbbing anger of the masses in a way, uh, around economic compromise and uh, class issues. It was, uh, man, you know, it's like I'm promoting a movie that's, how old is it? Like 50 years old? So folks, I have a new date, a tour date uh, that's live. It's for Bellingham, Washington. I'll be at the Mount Baker Theater for one show on Saturday, October 14th as part of the Bellingham Exit Festival. Tickets are now available at bellinghamexit.com or by going to wtfpod.com slash tour. I'm at Largo in LA next Wednesday, September 6th. I'll be doing five shows at Helium in St. Louis, September 14th through 16th. Then I'll be at the Las Vegas Wise Guys on September 22nd and 23rd for four shows. And in October, I'm at Helium in Portland, Oregon on October 20th through 22nd for five shows. I think they're all sold out. So, sorry. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for tickets. Uh, There'll be an upcoming date in November in Albuquerque, New Mexico, my hometown. Uh, I'll let you know when those go on sale. So, I'd like to talk... A moment about the Ukrainian conflict, not the one uh, with Russia, but the one that happened in my house a couple of days ago. I, I'll explain. Uh, now, look, if any of you are easily triggered by kind of bourgeois, relatively bullshitty luxury problems um, in story form, you might want to check out. But, you know, this is my life sometimes. You know, I'm a homeowner. I'm a refrigerator owner. I have an old relatively old Thermador refrigerator that, that came with the house. It's, it's a high-end fridge, but it's old. Now, look, I, so look, all ice makers on all refrigerators break, you know, but this one just kept breaking. And for some reason I, I found it, I got obsessed with the ice maker in this fridge. I was going to buy a new fridge and this company that I used to fix the fridge that I got from the woman that used to own this house and used to own this fridge uh, always send, and, and I've shared some of this before, these Ukrainian guys who fix refrigerators. So this thing has been, I've been through two or three ice makers and then like something else just went wrong. And I've been working with this guy, Alex, for what feels like months and months and months. He just kept trying to fix it. He said, well, here's the key to the story is that his first 
thing when he fixed it the first time, he said, well, it's a water pressure problem. It's coming in too strong and it's fucking everything up. And I said, all right, well, I'll just turn the valve down. And I would turn this valve on and off downstairs thinking, you know, in the, in the sub basement or the, uh, the crawl space where the plumbing is thinking it was the correct valve for the fridge. And then he kept trying to fix it, but like it would go weeks without him coming over. And then we couldn't schedule a time. Then he's waiting for a part and then he got COVID and then he couldn't get, he couldn't find another technician to help him with this, this last ditch effort to fix the fucking thing. And, you know, finally, you know, after month, and he was determined because he was like, I've been doing this 18 years and I will fix it. So I, I, I began to sort of not give a shit anymore. And I realized, which I should have realized at the beginning, I don't need an ice maker and just ride it out until the goddamn refrigerator craps out. I asked him if I should buy a new one. He said, no, because this is an old one. It's only got one computer. The new ones are full of computers and there's a, a million things to break and they're unnecessary. This is a good fridge. Fine. I'm like, great. I think this has probably been going on, let's say four months. Um, and it's just crazy. He would say he would come and then he wouldn't come. And not, it's not on him. It just... It wasn't happening. So finally, he's like, I'm going to get my son to come because I can't get another technician through the company. So him and his son come, these two Ukrainian men, and they're pulling apart the goddamn freezer to get into the ice maker, get into the guts of the machine. They tell me to shut the valve off so they can unhitch, unhook this thing to replace this part. We'd never taken the water supply uh cap off so i went down and turned off the valve that i thought was the valve and then they're screaming there's water all over the place he couldn't even hold his thumb to stop the pressure coming through this tube and i was like oh my god that isn't the valve and he's like i know i told you and then they like you know so i had to shut the entire house water off and then i realized i didn't have a valve and now i know it's my fault at the core of this thing and, you know, he's been trying all these different ways and he was right at the beginning. So I'm like, it was my fault. Fuck it. You know, I'm sorry. He's like, no, no blame. I just want to fix it. And, and then like, you know, I don't know what's going on in the kitchen, but they are yelling at each other. The two Ukrainian men. I know it's a, a, a kind of a brash language anyways, but they're yelling and there's a, it's like, it's like, it's making me, it's almost triggering me. Like, you know, like uh, I, there's going to be violence in there over the, the father and son Ukrainian civil war uh, in my kitchen over this goddamn refrigerator. And then they're, they're like, you know, I said, I'll call the plumbers. And then I had like an emergency plumber come over to put the valve in. And then I shut that off, but they had already left. And it, But before they left, he's trying to put the freezer door in. And one of the hinges shatters and there's ball bearings in it. And I just hear like, you know, a 20 small ball bearings hit the kitchen floor from the other room and they're all rolling everywhere. And I just hear him go, this fucking refrigerator, this fucking refrigerator. I do this 18 years. I hate this refrigerator. I hate this refrigerator. Yelling, yelling at my fridge. And then I walk in, I'm like, what's up? And his son is walking away from the fridge towards me. He goes, fucking Murphy's Law fucking Murphy's law. And this guy's like, I, I don't know. I go, just get another fucking refrigerator. Get another fucking fridge. I, I hate this refrigerator. I'm like, so what do you want to do? He's like, I can order the hinge, but I don't know the inside parts may be broken. And I'm like, I, well, I'll get the valve. I said, oh, okay. And then I, he, he goes, you decide. And then he props my refrigerator door shut with the shelf from inside the fridge. So that's sitting on a towel. Like it's propped shut right now. I texted him to order the hinge.
So we'll see. This could go on for another couple months. I don't know. I think he has a need, like a, a heroic journey to, f- to fix this refrigerator. And I've accepted my responsibility in it. And it, we'll just see what happens, man. Fucking Murphy's Law. Right? So, listen, we're now going to spend some time with Maria Bamford. I, I, I told you that she has this memoir out that's really a, 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 a very exciting approach to the memoir, very funny, but also very um, gnarly. It's called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, a memoir of mental illness and the quest to belong anywhere. It's out wherever you get books on September 5th. You can pre-order it now. And this is me and the, uh, the uh, truly touched in a brilliant way, Maria Bamford. <laughs> You've been on the show, like, like a lot. Yeah, I think, well, at least twice. Well, twice just like this, but then there were those old live ones. Oh, yes, that's right. And yes. then, and we dug up a thing that we did in 2006 when I had a radio show at KTLK at night <laughs> that you came and we recorded. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I, I was trying to figure out with the documentarian, Neil. Yes. Neil. <laughs> it's so funny because I'm telling you, man, Stephen Fine Arts... It's been two years. And after a certain point, how long has he been following you? He said a year? It's been a year. And so uh, the contract says, which I have read, yeah. uh, is uh, that after two years, I can say I'm Dunsies. Yeah. Is that a plan, though? Uh, I mean— Because it seems like for you, you're, you're sort of like, they could just say, like, we just need another year. And you'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the thing—it's obviously— Yeah. It's— a delightful ego boost right. to have anyone to yeah. care about anything. Right. Um, and at the same time, I, th- I think uh, you know, there's a point where th- you think, oh, I think I need to be done with this. Well, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's getting to the point because, like, sometimes when I'm on, like, camera like that and we're just hanging out, like, at the comedy store or something, and there was something about that zone after COVID and after I got through the, the primary place of the grief yes. that I was sort of like, well, fuck everybody. And and I was just throwing people under the bus. <laughs> everybody was going right under the bus. You mentioned, you mentioned a name of any comic and I was like, oh, that guy. And and now I got now I got to sit with this dude and I'm like, yeah, let me see that footage in the parking lot. From two years ago, because I'm pretty sure that guy, that guy didn't deserve that. But maybe he did. But the thing about you or I on some level after reading some of your book and knowing you is that, you know, you, you say things and then you're sort of like, but it was honest. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. like, I made it two thirds of the way through. And if I'd started it earlier. No, I love it. No, I love I am, you. I am grateful that to that you have even cracked. No, it was important book. because it was helpful to me. You know, because like I, I realize I never understand why I, you know, I can uh, uh, engage with you so uh, well. It's because we're very similar. It's just I think my 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 uh, my ground zero is a little more stable than you. <laughs> my 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 particular my particular template of defenses yes. uh, is uh, is is a little more uh, socially apt. Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's that's probably very much true. I uh, I don't often give off the feeling that everything's going to be okay, like yeah. <laughs> to an employer. Right. <laughs> right, but also the problems you have, like there there is something like I think which is what makes it so good with you is that your 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 authentic self is in trouble. <laughs> well, 
I don't I, that is so, uh, yeah like I, I I don't see that but I, it's interesting like I like I I feel pretty stable Mark I've been on uh I've been on a great cocktail saying, of meds for I'm, 11 years I'm saying family of origin stuff like oh, family or, of origin. the yeah. the original whatever's down in there yeah the uh, you've, you've the wound yeah. yeah you've definitely got it out your wound gave birth. Yes, my wound has given birth to uh, several albums, and uh, and my my parents are now gone. So, mm. it, which that is, I'm sorry. are your parents still around? Or yes, uh, my oh, dad is losing his mind. So that's fun. Uh, it's still in the fun part yeah. where he says funny things. Where are you, Massachusetts? Nope. <laughs> oh well, that's and my dad. My mom's okay. She doesn't. I, I think she's. Uh, because she's like a lifetime eating disorder person. Right, right. And, uh, and sadly, or not so sadly, because there's a, a, a bit in that book about your dad, because I didn't really realize. I don't know that we'd ever talked about it. I remember talking about the intrusive thoughts, but I don't remember talking about food with you, did we? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't Be- think so. Because I mean, like, food is my thing. Yeah, man. foods, I mean, and that's just sort of an American plague. But where... your dad poking Scott. Oh, God, and saying, yeah. yeah. What's oh, this? What's this? What's this? <laughs> 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 been eating a, cu- a couple of cakes and cookies. And... Well, that was my mother. I was terrified. Like, my first year of college, I lost, I got down to 169 pounds just to oh. impress my mom, and I looked terrible. Oh, my but, God. But, like, so there's always, like, she would always, like, hug and then pinch the side like that kind of stuff. And it was just like the worst. I couldn't, I just, I would always bring girlfriends to visit when I visit my mom in Florida, just as the, as a shield. I'm yeah. like, she's coming in. <laughs> my, my mom, she would, uh, she did the shoulder based hug, but then she would scan you up and down to see how your, how your body was looking particularly the, that day. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I, wonder because my mom she passed and then my dad i think he may have been the source of all the fucked up uh skinny stuff stuff. yeah really because he started getting very obsessed well that was part of how he died was that he uh he had a girlfriend who was lovely she was hilarious and uh, he kept eating less and less, worried that he was going to get fat. Yeah. And I w- and then finally, uh, he was very underweight. He was like 125, 5'10", and he uh, got COVID and died. So, and oh. I wonder if part of that could have been depression, combination with the Karen Carpenter uh, thing where it's like his brain wasn't functioning because he wasn't eating enough. Huh. I don't know. Or dementia. I mean, I don't know, but... Um, Totes weird. Yeah. Well, it's odd when you, as you get older, when you you're still putting together these pieces. Yeah. Which you know you've been sort of uh, uh, um, vigilant about. Yes. Through your work, yes. and and just personally, like that, like this book, like outside of being a funny memoir, and and you keep it pretty funny. You know, you definitely give props to the things that helped you. Oh yeah. And they're organized things, and also to the things that may help other people but you know didn't help you all the way through yeah well i i, I think that's also important to like not pe- for so people don't feel gaslit you know when you go into go oh well they said it was going to help and then it's 
shitty. You know, the healthcare isn't good or yeah. you get the wrong person. Have you ever uh, told the wrong therapist something and then they you, you pay them 75 bucks to call the cops? Yeah. Um, <laughs> cops don't come because it's L.A. They're busy. <laughs> Can you just hold on a minute? I have to make a phone call. God. Stay here. <laughs> that totally happened. Like, I was like, yeah, she was like, a, um, I'm a mandated reporter, so I need to tell, you know, because I was telling her about my intrusive thoughts. Yeah. And then she said, but it is, you need to make the check out to uh, something in Associates, yeah. $75. <laughs> right. But, but you, you were, she was mandated to report you? Yeah, because she was concerned I was going to be harmful to others mm. um, due to my my anxieties and fears. And I was trying to tell her, I'm like, no, it's just a fear of. I've never hurt anybody. I am, in fact, staying in my uh, apartment with my hands under my legs trying to prevent myself from doing any monstrous things. But the thing is, is that you've had these thoughts uh, to varying degrees, some of them, you know, you know almost uh, a macabre. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, you, they're fun. Yeah, to, <laughs> since you were a kid and you never hurt anybody. No. So it was a condition. Yeah, the evidence uh, is not there that I'm going to hurt anybody. But I, I think when people aren't, you know, don't know about what something is yeah. and, and – OCD is much more uh, well-known now, but, yeah, uh, yeah. because how about Dell? How about Dell just talked about it, and, and that's very, that's very, it does help when, and people talk about it. Sure. So. Oh, but this book, your book, oddly, comes at a good time for me. Oh, good. Well, Like yes. there's, like, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm horrified and excited that there are portions of it where I'm like, no, I think it's, I better go to that one. <laughs> I love I love twelve step. I mean, I know there's problematic language, uh, pseudo spiritual, sort yeah, of paternalistic. Or do you? I mean, I have like my husband Scott. He was raised Jehovah Witnesses, so whenever he hears oh. all that nonsense, yeah. and especially like the the knowing laughs in a in a meeting, like I knew when I thought that there was just, no God. Yeah, like there's just so much kind of. Uh, yeah. Pri- but you start to realize that that bleeding deacon bullshit is, it's like the people that work at central office. Yeah. It's like, who are those people? Well, they're that's what they're doing to maintain sobriety. Thank God. Thank God. And they may be monstrous on some in some other avenue of their life. Of course. Like, I just... I just want to acknowledge that, you know, nothing is going to be perfect, especially, uh, you know, something that's... Especially when you uh, make it godlike, which I think sometimes when they say, this saved my life, it's yeah. like, well, this helped save your life along with yeah. human beings, yeah. like the human contact. Like, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know, the, the, the part about, I, I can just totally oh, yeah, understand, I see what you're saying. I can understand why people are turned off from it completely. Well, I think that all the language around surrender and not giving any, you, you know, uh, uh, credit in the literature to to will, um, you, you know, is is it's not true. Yeah, and cognitive behavioral That's science, the same thing. And right? Like that, that a lot of it is uh, acting as if. Yeah, yeah, which is totally something you do uh, in a CBT therapy or whatever is like going. Okay, what what would you do if you didn't do the thing or or harm reduction? Like, okay, you're doing heroin every day. Can you add pizza to that? Can you eat an extra large pizza <laughs> was that plus bit, the heroin? What's that bit in the book where <laughs> where you're talking about <laughs> about the eating disorder and having found a way? Yeah. And now uh, you, you you know you would you take longer to eat? Oh God! And, yeah. and, and, Oh, hours. 
hours. <laughs> but, I'm but, mindfully <laughs> and gratefully eating this two pieces of bread. <laughs> and would you say chewing and breathing? More yeah. chewing and breathing. <laughs> So stupid. I mean, it did help Mm -hmm. me, obviously. Overeaters Anonymous helped me stop binging and purging. Awesome. But then at the same time, because of that 12-step program, because people were so kind of manic about like, um, sugar to me is rat poison. I will die before I eat sugar. You know, make 17 calls a day if you need to to keep yourself from. It's like that is going to cause disordered eating and functioning in society. So I ended up going through a treatment program right. after that. Where my, And then my sponsor dumped me yeah. from OA because she said uh, she couldn't sponsor someone who was... Uh, Pro-sugar? Uh, yeah. Really? Eating the devil's candies. <laughs> um, well, that's the other thing candies. that people don't that you, people don't realize about program and that... Look, man, it, it only... AA, I think, only works for like 20 It's only got like a 20% success rate. Right. So like it's like it's not for everybody. If you can do it other in some other way or if you grow out of it, whatever the fuck it is. But for me, and I think for you also, beginning with whatever your first program was, is that there is a way of thinking that you learn. And I think the inventory process is pretty good. That's what's well, super helpful of like – Going, okay, like when I went to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, I was like... Was that the last one? No, Debtors is your... Debtors is my main one. I love it. But I do go to Recovering Couples Anonymous. What is that? Um, That is for couples who Mm. are both in recovery. And um, yeah, and it's about uh, having powerlessness because I don't know how to have a relationship. I don't know how to do it. So I uh, that's helped me just kind of like what behaviors might be more helpful than what I've what I do, yeah. which um, what I love to do mm-hmm. is um, threaten suicide, <laughs> which I thought was kittenish. <laughs> Turns out. Um, <laughs> my dad uh, did that my whole life. Yeah, right? Yeah. That my husband, his mom did that his whole life. So he's like, worst. okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> so it doesn't even work. <laughs> yeah, it gets to the point where it's like, <laughs> would you just do it already? Yeah, I'm tired of the crying. It's annoying. <laughs> it's like, this been... Yeah, just like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm waiting for it. Um, but uh, yeah. I, I, oh, but SLAA, it did help me like going through the steps of like, okay, what are the things that I've done? And one of the things I didn't really- Sex and love. Sex, sex and love. Yeah. Not, uh, and my main thing was that I would have a one night stand like once a year that with somebody. And yeah, that it was almost like cutting where yeah. I was like, it was abysmal, like yeah. a terrible situation. And it kind of kept getting worse. And also I couldn't maintain any relationships. Right. So, uh, the one thing that was really surprising to me in doing the inventory process was going, oh, I'm a predator on some level. Mm. Like, even though I'm like a lady and, you know, like I, but I would talk about being single on stage, which is totally mm. like sending out a signal to mm-hmm. all the people that are there. Yeah. And then going, I don't know why, why am I so single? And then, uh, yeah, like really zeroing in on the one person who's vibing back. Right. And and that that might, if I thought of the other person as a human being, rather than, oh, they're just going to want what I want. Yeah. That I may be victimizing them. Because one thing, if you go to an SLA meeting, it's like going to a club when the lights have turned on. Yeah. It's all hot people with weird blue-green eyes. But there's some kind of s- sad kind of men that can't. Hold eye contact as well. Well, it's also, no, it's, it, I mean, I think it's a lot of people who, uh, 
yeah, who thinking that romance or hooking up or something, that's where intimacy really is. Right. But that's also, but there's also sort of a hookers and porn contingent too. A little bit. It's but mostly, not, it's mostly pretty normal. I mean, not that's normal people, Maybe but, it's just, you know a, well, like what you're saying is something that that's one of the things that resonated with me about my entire life is that because my parents were hypersexualized people. Oh. And I don't, I don't know why I'm ooing that. Yeah, Sorry. but but there there's part of me that sexualizes instead of because I don't know how to be intimate. Right. Like there, I don't think people realize that you can you can you know sexualize you can have sex to avoid intimacy. Right. Exactly. Totally. And and, I, and the point you made in the book, which you know I I have been thinking about in my own life in terms of my history, is that. You know, they're like when you are a compulsive sex person or or you're doing the one night stands or whatever. Yeah. The idea is that like we're all on the same page, whereas you might not be like because if you're in that zone of hookups, right. you don't know you, you, you can hook up. But what what you, you don't necessarily take into consideration the other person. Yeah. And and the, all the dishonesty of like when I, I would say, oh, why well, am I single? Why am I single? It's like. Maria, have you ever willingly gone out uh, on a date, you know, six dates with one person, no matter how uncomfortable it was? Which is what I had to do to, yeah. like, start going, okay, yeah. you just, like, one of my my sponsor told me, date them till you hate them. Yeah. Like, just, you've got to get to know date someone slowly. That's a swa- That's a, swa- yeah, that's a swa- swa- thing. Yeah, because... It's just like friendship. You've got to slowly well, you, get to know someone. Right, or, or else you're just projecting you're something. You're just projecting, projecting some weird thing. Also, I had such high standards for romance, like so much higher than I had for my friends. Yeah. And my friends are a mess, just like myself. Well, this is the thing about, like, you know, holding yourself. It's like you— You know, predatory is, is a loaded word, but the thing is, like, I know and, and you know— that you know, we we are okay people in a sense that we're trying to take responsibility for who we are, but we're not. We're coming from a mentally ill place. Well, and I just I just like the idea of like I'm never the victim. Like I'm not the victim of the situation. That's right. Like taking responsibility for my part. And right, something. right. Yeah. But but I've started to have to realize that you know whatever my actions were in the past or whatever failed relationships I've had or even the good ones. Yeah. You know, was I was it truly full of trust and intimacy and all that stuff? Because most of the time, people get obsessed with me, and I like it. <laughs> it and, does. There's well, there's a sense of power and safety. But that's also the love addiction part. If someone's in love with you, yeah, that that feeling. And, but it's not really you. They're not. I get it. Right. Right. It's not but, really you. But but you. But that enables you to hide behind their perception of you. <laughs> Until this shit or, goes down. Well, yeah, until they become irritating and you become irritating. Right. Which is the surest sign of intimacy. Once you become irritated with someone, that's when you know you're in the brisket. But I realized recently, and I've been talking about it on stage, because I, I, I talk about this shit. I, you know, I talk about borderline personality disorder. Right. Okay. Because, like, I believe that I had a bit of, of it. Yes, yes, okay. And that, you know, I think my father was probably misdiagnosed and is of that ilk. Okay, You know, he okay. was sort of a bipolar guy. But I, but when you come from chaos, like, I find that I've dated, not on purpose, right. you know, people with a certain disposition. And then after a certain point, it's like, I'm not claiming I'm a victim, but, but I'm also not well. So... If I'm not going to deal with that, like, you know, what I come from. So I've been talking about pretty hairy trauma lately 
to sort of somehow get some self-ownership around, you know, how I engage in the world. That's awesome. That sounds great. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's one of those things, like, especially with, with sex and love, Leah, once you're, you know, I'm a childless, twice married guy. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, at a certain point, you're like, well, I've made these choices mm-hmm. to be who I am. But where the fuck do they come from? You know, oh, yeah. why am I like this? Oh. Why am I incapable of intimacy? Why, you know, and you can track it to your parents and all that other stuff. But at some point, like, either you go, like, well, this is just the way I am, or you go, no, fuck. Oh, I got to work. But everybody, yeah, everybody can change. I mean, I know. That's absolutely, I believe, true. I don't think, I think they still themselves, but you can make different decisions, to- choices. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I mean, I, my husband and I, uh, like, yeah, have different ways of seeing the world and, yeah. like, our, our kind of our ways of uh dysfunctions kind of match each other, yeah. you know? And I mean, that's what they always say in the, the couples groups of like, you're, you're just kind of trying to heal the childhood wound in relationships of, um, but yeah, like, uh, but, but we also, we, we also get a lot, lots of help. Cause like, which I've always done with everything. Like yeah. I, we go see a therapist, we go see, um, I, uh, I do, uh, yeah, I do couples, uh, the couples, uh, tw- a 12-step group, yeah. um, and there's another one called Chapter 9, which is um, is about relationships in 12-step. And it's great because it's like having some support around that stuff from people. Because I don't know about you, but I have a lot of single friends yeah. and or people who have been married a long time. Yeah. And they just are kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> or, you know, like. Well, they don't have the gift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gift. It's true. It's true. But uh, oh, but the thing is about this wound idea and mm-hmm. the trauma model, which I just read about the guy that sort of came up with that, like the the body keeps the score yes, guy. Yes. And the evolution of that trauma model. Yeah. Is that when you talk about a wound, you know, in your mind you think like what happened, but it's like it could be the whole fucking time. The wound could be your entire childhood. Yes. Yeah. Totally. So, so like it's you know it's not some specific thing. There's it's a it's a pattern of shit. Yeah. You know, so like there's a like when I track, I've been doing this joke about like you know just about being put in position mm-hmm. as a young kid. Mm-hmm. You know, me and my brother, we were like five or six. Okay. It, it was a, a babysitter, and it was you know it was he was you know it was a molesty position. Oh. But 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 I talk about it. Yeah. But then I talk about you know like and, and the audience is sort of like oh my god because it, it, it was sort of like one of these memories where I always knew it was there but I never thought that it went all the way through but I I don't know how it wouldn't have right right right. But then I talk right after that I talk about you know like how my mother was incapable of uh, folding a lunch bag properly like you know most mothers would fold it so you had a little handle yeah. my mom would just squinch it up so it was this wrinkled fucking mess oh, and yeah. she would put peanut butter jelly sandwiches in tin foil so they were just look like bruised wet things that were oh. unedible and she put a diet pill in my bag like a half a diet pill what and i'm like and so i set all this up and i go like that on a day to day basis for as long as it went on much worse than whatever happened with the babies <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and I commend you for talking about because that, that, that people don't talk about that. How, um, yeah, men yeah. also have experiences of of uh, being well, also not just molested as children, yeah. but also manipulated by women. That women can be predators just as much as men can. Yeah. can. I mean, it's less likely to happen, but it does. It totally happens, depending on what your vulnerability is, and you know, and what the. 
see, like, I believe, and I've been talking about this a bit too, that whatever your wound is, if you're walking around vulnerable to a certain type of mental illness because of what you come from, they're just going to see you as a, like an open door. I can get right in there and just rework the wires from the inside. (laughs) And it happens on an almost instinctual level. Well, see, that's my point of like, that there, there's companions to your mental illness. Yeah. Well, and all my friends, all my friends grew up with alcoholism or, yeah. you know, yeah, have a lot of people with uh, mental health issues. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or from Eastern Europe. Those are all my <laughs> yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah. The full spectrum. Happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so in, in the book, you know, you kind of like you're pretty thorough. Out, you know, you talk about your family and, and then you talk about the trauma of uh, the violin, the Suzuki violin <laughs> lessons. But 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 you also see sort of a silver lining to a, it. Oh, a privileged and, trauma, and, yeah. But, yeah, in, no, but in, no, but I mean in terms of discipline. Yeah, That yeah. there was, and learning that, you know, if you work hard at something you don't even like that much, at least you will have worked hard. And you will get better at it. Yeah. You will get weirdly better at it. Yeah. Um, which is uh, strange. And especially, and if you are motivated by your parents' love, yeah. you will do it for a lot longer than you should. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, love in, in quotes? Yeah. Well, the, yeah, the, the light attention of my mom going, oh, uh-huh. And then my dad going, oh, wow. <laughs> And have my dad, well, my dad would have me play the violin on the uh, front lawn for right. our uh, unassuming la- neighbors who would say, "We we really got to go. <laughs> we yeah, she's great. We really got to go." <laughs> no, no, wait. <laughs> but but the first sort of turn was 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 the food. Uh, yeah, the food really helped. Uh, t- I mean, if you ever want to stop thinking about anything, just start Eat. a diet. <laughs> like, oh, start a diet. Start a diet. Sure, like that's how I started yourself, the yeah. yeah Richard uh, Simmons. Oh, you had, you had this uh, this cathartic moment with Richard Simmons, Simmons. as a child. Yeah, he was, you loved him. I just thought he was hilarious when we we had his book at home, and his book was hilarious. He was just so sassy, and yeah. then, so I went on the diet that he said to go on, which I think was like. 1100 yeah. calories a day yeah and um and you were 11 i was 10 or yeah. 11 yeah. and i remember coming back to school and the lunch lady was like you've lost weight how did you do it and, <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> like, I'm like richard simmons yeah yeah <laughs> i had the same experience with the stop the insanity lady oh <laughs> but i was like you know in, in my 30s right. Susie powder yes i just love watching i'm like she's crazy but it's great yeah 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 yeah. and jessica curson was dating her i remember like like years after Stop the Insanity, I was at the Comedy Cellar, and and I kind of knew Jessica was there with her, yeah. and I kind of recognized her, and she said, "I'm Susie Powder." I'm like, "No way!" Oh, and it was her. They don't date anymore, but 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 I got to meet her. <laughs> Have you talked to um, okay, the Queen of Mean? Uh, yeah, sure, Lampanelli. Yeah. Not not since she turned into a human. Well, yeah, I was like, oh, be so interesting. I would love to hear. That's um, a good. That's her. a good idea. Yeah, because. I th- I was so delighted and surprised about that because it's just it's I mean she seems uh, lighter happier. Oh my you know? God, she emanated a type of seething vibration that was like scary. And I once saw her in Canada at one of the festivals and at the Vogue Theater. Yeah, and she had this electricity to the intensity of her anger that I literally had only experienced once before watching Sam Kennison. Like it was a a zone 
uh, of of electricity that you can make funny, but like it's rare to be as angry as she was and to sort of make it palatable. But it turns out I guess she was really not uh, good. Well, and she, but she, yeah, the, I mean, she was, she is a great yeah. performer. Cause I, I, I saw a little about her doing. Um, Podcast and stuff. She's very funny. I mean, of course. Still what funny. is the clinic? That what is her? I, I mean, what is her angle? I think now. Uh, the last time I checked on her, because I, I use it as a sort of a hopeful thing. Like yeah. I go, oh, I could do something else. Yeah. <laughs> um, that always makes me laugh uh, uh, when yeah. comedians are like, after yeah. being canceled, like, what else am I gonna do? Yeah. I've been doing this for thirty years. Yeah. Almost anything yeah. you can do. If you can lean, you can clean. You can do anything. <laughs> anything. Um, but. Um, uh yeah, I th- I want to say that she's doing coaching, like okay. coaching. Oh good. So um and a podcast uh with a couple of friends. So for you, the food thing got you into the idea of getting better. Uh, I called the suicide hotline when I was nineteen. Yeah, because I was just like I cannot stop binging and and yeah, it was starting to get yeah. I just I just felt like I couldn't stop and I just wanted to. Uh, I'd never been a person who acted on suicidal ideation, yeah. but thought about it all the time. Yeah, I used to do a bit where it's like, I, I don't really want to kill myself, but it makes me feel better knowing I can if I have to. Yeah, that's very funny. <laughs> very. Well, you do a similar thing, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. No, it's, uh, I'm not a doer. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, so I called, and that they gave me the number for um, Overeaters Anonymous, and then somehow... Just even knowing that something existed, yeah. I was kind of weirdly relieved of wanting to binge anymore or starve myself. And that became – that's my only abstinence is I just don't diet. I don't uh, don't binge and don't uh, – yeah. Yeah, I don't get on the scale anymore. Yeah. Like I – you know, I won't do it. And I, I – I'm, but I am still sort of uh, – I do exercise to the point where by the end of the week I feel um, beat up. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and but I I just can't. I have to do it. Yeah, well, yeah. and I don't know. I think yeah. it's the least of all possible things. Like, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah, you're not hurting anybody but yourself. Um, but and you look great. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but this but that moment was a moment where you realize like that behavior uh, that seems comforting could be bad yeah yeah or it was just that something free could help oh and my my parents so you knew you were in trouble yeah my parents didn't think i had a problem you know they were sort of like oh you're you seem to be doing all right and um yeah and i just wasn't and um yeah so it that helped me and then my second group was when i was I think 25, yeah. I got into Debtors Anonymous yeah. uh, when I moved to L.A. and I fell into a hole. Um, and somebody told me at an OA meeting, they're like, hey, uh, you can learn how to have a job and keep a job if you go over there, weirdo. <laughs> and uh, and sometimes I can now keep jobs. Yeah. <laughs> but you do have that weird thing. Like I, I was talking to the documentarian, Neil. Yes, Neil. And I said, uh, like, the interesting thing about about how you do comedy and how you and I interest I, I introduced him to the word peopling, which is people the stage. Whereas, like, it's not a, a thing you see as much anymore, where someone generates characters that interact with each other oh, yeah, in yeah, in, yeah. in 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 a bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. it's all a lot of what you do, and it's it's not it just you don't see it. Uh, but but I told him like there is something underneath 
all of it when she's you know, sort of satirizing, you know, maybe not intentionally, but doing what she does is that, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that there's a lot of fuck you under it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, the yeah. whole documentary half or half my new material is about how trying to get paid to do stuff, mm-hmm. like especially when like somebody and I don't know if you have this or have this thing of like, um, like emotional stuff that comes up about around money, yeah, and then asking about it, especially when it involves a famous person with perceived power, yeah. who I go, oh. That what they'll think of me yeah. if I say, "Hey, I need to get paid to do do this thing," and I don't know. I, I just I I find that super. I, I like but, talking about yeah things that are emotional. But, the, but no, but the expectation is that you know they're doing you a favor, or you're not supposed to ask yes. about it. Like yeah, I remember with these produce shows, like these comics that produce shows. Mm-hmm. And they were doing it at the comedy store, and I don't, I don't really do produce shows. Mm-hmm. You know, I just do the store, and I work yeah. out, and I get my shit done. And then when I need to do long shit, I'll go to Dynasty Typewriter right. or some clubs and figure it out, so I can build the act. But these guys were just sort of like grabbing people from the hall who are national headliners and being like, "You want to do this? Well, uh, two hundred bucks." And and I did it once, and then I I said to him like. You know, 200 bucks is not even what I pay my feature, and I'm doing 25 minutes on your fucking show, and just because it's down the hall, maybe you should try to pay me more uh, yeah, fairly yeah. For, yes. for the job I do. Yeah. And now they, it's like 500 or whatever. Nice! But oh I thought God, that was justified. Cool. That's great! Because, like, it is, um, well, yeah, I'm telling, yeah, I try to, uh, I bring $100 on on stage, yeah. and I pay an audience member. Very yeah. slowly in twenties, yeah. Um, and then we all sit with how that feels, um, and then I <laughs> ask is... them to pay it back to me, mm. and then I tell them you will get the money at the end because we value your emotional work tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, because it's just—I mean, I—I I have enough money, I have generational wealth. My dad passed away, uh, it, so anyways, I can retire at yeah. at sixty-five, and. But, like, I wonder why, uh, yeah, so that, especially when I don't really need the yeah. money, why I still get mad about it. Like, like. It um, feels un, uh, disrespectful, unfair, and not correct. Yeah. Or, and why do other people have emotions about it? So, like, I asked somebody to pay me at a show. Yeah. They paid me. Uh, this is a show on the West Side, which we all know. If you ask to go to the West Side, oh uh, that's God. like asking you to go to Nairobi. Yeah, you're out uh, here with me. Via Singapore. Further out. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you got to bring a tent. Yeah. You better bring uh, two meals with me in a box. <laughs> and so I said, hey, can you pay me $1,000 and send me a car? And uh, <laughs> and so they did. Then they paid, the person paid me out in, th- in hundreds yeah. on stage. Uh, slowly in front of the audience. Now, did you ask that? For, no, that's no, that weird. is not what I asked. So, uh, which is fine. I love a thousand dollars, however it comes to me. Yeah. But it was interesting. Like I was like, oh, this person is having an emotional reaction mm. about paying me. Like, either are they mad that I'm 
that I should just want to do whatever this is because I'm a good friend or that this is such a wonderful show. That's a lot of thing in L.A. It's like, but it's such it's going to be such a great crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't care. care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And great for whatever you think great is, is not great for me necessarily. It's it's the worst thing to hear when I'm in the green room at the comedy store, a comic walk in like, oh, they're amazing. I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Like if they if they were amazing for you, what am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah, I, but but the, but there was a humiliation uh, uh, attempt. It seems with the paying on stage. Well, but I don't know if that's true. I think that person may mm. have felt so hurt by being asking for the money. I uh. just I just wonder if that's what was going on. See, I don't like. Okay, fine. Well, so you're you're uh, extending. Do you think you're you're you're. Uh, do you think you're actually empathetic or just so fucking critical of yourself that you end up at empathy? I'm act- I am empathetic because I do know that people have really strong feels around money. I mean, I've yeah. been in DA so I've been t- for like 25 years. So I've heard all sorts of stories yeah. where it's like people are like, yeah, just weeping uncontrollably because yeah. they're not sure, you know, how to, uh, yeah, whatever it is their yeah. financial fear is. Yeah. So... I, I get it. So uh, yeah, but it was it's just fascinating. Like I, I love, I, I'm ex- I'm excited about that chunk of my act. Well, it's very exciting. This is a new act. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the last time I I saw you, we were both sharing a stage in Toronto yes. for like four shows. We got to watch each other, and yes. it'd been years since I saw you, and and I had the same reaction I always have. It's like I gotta quit. <laughs> so oh stop it <laughs> she's already doing she's doing all of it Aww. I used to feel that way about Dana Gould it's like alright well that's yeah. that's the end of it <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah he's so great yeah no I, it, that's I, I love festivals because then we can all see I mean there's so Sometimes. many I'm glad that they put us out in that weird theater that you know, people had to you know like go like are we going to the haunted world's fairgrounds <laughs> oh that's it, right yeah. yeah it was like the it was like couldn't it be further away from the rest of the festival to the point like what is wrong with me and maria uh-huh. that we're out in this venue that they don't even clean apparently it's okay it was fine it's okay it's fine <laughs> Um, we did all right. Yeah, no, it was fine. It was, yeah. it was, it was uh, lovely. I'm grateful to be ever to be paid uh, to do anything. But that was the interesting part about like that out of all of them, and and you know, you talk specifically about OA. You talk about SLAA a little later in the book. You talk about um, the uh, I, I don't know. But was there another? You didn't do any drug stuff. Uh, no, I there didn't. Yet. Somehow I. But then you talked about the artist way. As, yes. Like you, you could, I could tell <laughs> what you were passionate about because, despite what any judgment people have about, what was her name Julia Cameron's thing? Yes. Yes. It's like I knew people at that time that were doing it, and and I was given the books as a gift mm-hmm. by I think Caroline Ray. Oh. And you know, I as soon as I saw the workbook, I'm like, I'm not fucking doing this. <laughs> You know, like, you know, I got weed to smoke, you know, so <laughs> what kind of bullshit? How is this going to help me, these exercises? So I don't even think I could write a term paper right now. Like, I, I just, I'm not, I don't love writing like that. Right, like, even right. though, even if it was exploratory, I, I do write a thing. Every, I can yes, write. Yes, you've written, written a couple I, books, I know, if not I know, but I don't love three. It. Don't okay, love, don't it. love it. Do you okay. love, did, did you love writing this? Uh, it was interesting. It's, I, I like the... It was just, yeah, it was a lesson in, um, well, 
first of all, a book deal is. Uh, it, I should have read the contract. I should have read the contract. That's what's wait. Famous. Yeah, you just hope it sells because, like, he, I don't know how book publishers make money because I wrote a book in two thousand and two called mm-hmm. Jerusalem Syndrome. Yeah. And quarterly, I still get statements, you know, showing the the money it hasn't made back yet. And that deal was only thirty k, and it's still in the fucking red. And it's sort of like I'm not sure I need this reaffirmation. I know that is hilarious. <laughs> they feel the need to send you an invoice or a, a well, they do. The, the agent breaks it down, <laughs> and it's like and, and like like when I wrote my last book, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to write this. And then there was some weird bidding war, and I'm like, well, I, okay, well that's money. I'll yeah. take that money. And in my head, I'm like, they're never gonna make it back. They're never gonna make it back. And sure enough, I get those quarterly invoices too, and that one's much deeper in the hole. <laughs> but oh, no. but it, but I stop it feeling bad for the publisher. Yes, because yes. they're making their money off of cookbooks. That has nothing to do with us. Yes, no, the, somebody and or uh, there's a wonderful book out, Jeanette McCurdy, which is a very funny and super sad about. Um, I'm glad my mother died. Uh, that's a very funny book. Catchy title. Uh, yes, but um, but okay. So the con- but the the fact is, but didn't this feel like a fucking assignment? Uh, yes, and I was excited. I mean, I love the idea that you know someone offers me money. I go, oh my god, I can't wait till it comes, and then, uh, then, what a book is is the thing that I uh, don't like, it, which is a group project. Yeah, I want to be more like a group project person, uh, but then, uh, then people edit you. Like I wanted to put in the book. Yeah, I wanted to put an ongoing financial. Uh, uh, open book accounting of what I was earning. You and did, it's in there. did a little bit, yeah. But, no, but I had many more numbers. But, 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 but this is an interesting thing about it, and we'll get back to the artist's way, is that like, you know, I'm reading the book and I understand your compulsion yes. for transparency. Tell everybody around, everything, poop it out. <laughs> around your finances. <laughs> but, but like, I, I couldn't understand your commitment to it. Like, it, it is an active sort of, you know, beef in the book where it's sort of like, I don't give a fuck what they say, but I'm going to do at least a year, yeah. uh, you know, broken down in tables yes. of where my money goes and how much I made. Yeah. Why? Because I feel like it's my... Have you read The Giving Tree? Where all the tree has left is a stump uh, to sit on. <laughs> that I have nothing more to give. Like, I don't... I'm not... I'm not useful in terms of comedic uh, material. Uh, I'm, a, you know, nobody needs to hear from an older white woman. Oh, what's what? What's your take on yeah, things? Yeah, but but, uh, but I don't. But I I don't I don't necessarily. It's not that I don't buy it, but it's it's just it's fundamentally not true what you're saying. But go ahead. I I just I know it's what you believe. This is what I think of myself. Yeah. So I I think oh I'd like to because I know some people won't ask for more money and the money for openers and middles yes. has not gone up since I was an opener yeah. 25 years ago. So I would like people to be know what other people are making. Like some a comedian like me, that they'd go, oh, somebody's asked me to open for them. What should I ask for? Um, because I've been in the situation where people open for me and I go, hey, how much is the club paying you? And yeah. they go, oh, 50 bucks, 100 bucks. And I go, okay, well, then I'll pay you 600 to to 1000 for the week so that you're getting right. paid. Um, and I'll let you know what I'm earning so you you get a picture, you know, if somebody else asks you to yeah, open. Yeah, well, that that was helpful to me in the way, just as a comic, because, like, I'll definitely, like, if somebody comes with me on the road and features and stuff, you, you pay for their plane, you pay yeah. for their hotel. I try, I think I'm giving them good money, but then I look at the money you're giving them, like, maybe I should give them a 
little more. I pay uh, Jackie Cation when she comes with me twelve hundred plus air and hotel for um, one night. For one night, yeah. For one sh- one show, if a one show is like ten grand or more. So sometimes I can't afford to bring her because she's a headliner too. Uh, so if I'm doing somebody local, uh, depending on how much I'm earning. Um, yeah. But I think it, it also depends on what I'm earning. I did for a while when I had the TV show. I did profit sharing and mm. I paid. A percentage, whatever percentage of the show they did, mm. I would pay them a percentage of the income. Well, I think that's correct, and I think it's making me rethink. Like, if I like, I think I'm, I'm going to Salt Lake City next weekend, and I, I don't think I'm bringing an opener because I just didn't get one together. I asked like one person, and they couldn't. I'm like, all right, well, fuck it. But, but I, I imagine the club will have a local. Yeah. But like in general, I'd let the club pay. But you know, it seems like I should rethink it. Oh, it's bullshit. They're yeah. being paid like 150 tops yeah. for f- five shows um yeah it's it makes me furious that also f- this is for stadium shows too like i've had a friend open for somebody at a stadium where they were getting paid like maybe a yeah, hundred no, bucks I, I, and you go that it's just it's not only like it's it's just have some curiosity about what somebody's making, you know. Like I just I get no. I think that's cor- it's correct, and I you know made me sort of like it's in my head now. But but like I've never you know I've always paid people pretty well when they nice. open for me and take and and you know buy dinners and whatever. Nice. Do all that stuff. Nice. Go go do things and you know. Yeah. That's why you got to really plan your openers. It's sort of like we're gonna be going. Do, we're doing. Things. We're friends. Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. gonna be good friends. I was on the road with uh, Lara Bite. You know, for a long time. Oh. Uh, you know, do you know her? No, um, no, oh, she's I don't great. Know anybody. And she's like a, a, a Midwestern woman. Okay. From uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And, but she's very sort of like, you know, she's, uh, you know, an uh, eating person mm-hmm. and a recovery person. Nice. And we just had, you know, we would spend hours and hours together in the oh. car, talking it out, nice. doing the stuff, <laughs> having the food. Doing, you know, like trying to eat right. Like it all made sense. I've, I have toured with uh, Esther Pavitsky. Oh, who, Esther. Yeah. And she's like weird with food. So I'm like, great. Perfect. This is, yeah, it's going to work out great. We could talk about how we're not eating, what we're not eating. But also when you spend, like when you do those runs where you, you, know, you rent the car and you drive to the different gigs oh, in the God. region. It's like I started to realize with both of them, it's sort of like, all right, all right well, they, I mean, they don't feel like talking right now. Yeah. And we can just drive in silence, and that's fine. It's and that's totally like, it's, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. It's okay. Well, and I think especially as – I mean, in any job where there's, like, authority figures, like, I, I'm in a position of power. You know, so if I say – like, anybody who I ask to open to me is going to be like, yeah, of course. Of course, right, I'd love right, to open. Right, right. I'd love to open. Oh, I'll be super easy about it. I'll be so easy about it. Like – you know, people refusing money or yeah. whatever. So I think that that's part of it too. Is like people are don't want to s- say anything or, anyways, be a so, problem. Okay, so the transparency about money in the book, in in terms of actual sort of breakdowns, is really just for you to 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 sort of assess and show what you believe is to be fair. Or that I'm trying, and if somebody notices that I'm not being fair, oh my god, twit. Twitter at me or, yeah. or well, X I mean, at me. I, when you <laughs> kind of broke down your charitable contributions, which I just did a bunch of like a week or so ago, because like I'm not organized and I'm like, oh, fuck, I got to do the charity stuff. Yeah. And I have, you know, five or six things I give to, but I don't know that I'm giving enough. And you and I are in the same boat. I'm fine. Yes. I don't have kids. Yep. You know, I'm not, you know, and like, I don't know where my money goes, but you just have to make that leap and be like, well, give it away, man. Yeah, I uh, we give 11%. That's 1% better than 
all Christians mm. uh, to the Downtown Women's Center. We just give it to one place and because uh, I can't do the bookkeeping on more than that. I just do a lot of animals, Planned Parenthood, and ACLU. Oh, but nice. that Women's Center seems good. Oh, it's, uh, no, everything's, everything's good. But it, that's the OCD part of it where it's like I go, well, why not 12%? I mean, if you're going to be such a weirdo about yeah. it, like, uh, but— uh, I give money to the, the Carolina Tiger Rescue. There's a place in North Carolina where they they get all these big cats that people buy as pets, but then they you know they eat their dog or something or or whatever. Right, whoops. <laughs> yeah, like you don't don't buy a tiger as a pet, stupid. There's apparently not laws. You know, people can just own bears. You know, so but it's <sighs> but no, it's mostly cats. Nice. Or nice. their roadside attraction right. bar, uh, zoos that get mistreated. So they end up at this place and they just have it there. You could go and it's sort of a zoo, but it's all these cats and stuff that were kind of like in awkward situations or or abusive situations right. and they have them there and they have a whole environment for them Aww. and I went there once with an old girlfriend and I was like I'm going to give them money all the time so keep the tigers going it's the wonderful. sad cats the sad cats well yeah when you don't need uh, yeah I don't need anything anymore I, I would love to have health care uh, that's probably going to end if I don't if the strike goes on, but I got in under the wire, I think. Yeah, but with a job that's going to carry me through next year, anyways. But if I don't, I still, yeah, I got. But I you can still work. afford health insurance. I can still afford health. Insurance. All right, so, but okay, so that's the debtor thing, which really be, seems to be the one that you know holds I your life together. That. Yeah. I love that one. But it's just fun. It's like it's like a weird Tony Robbins with a debit card. Yeah, you know. But what did the artist way do for you in terms of your creativity? I well, I loved it because it opened up the possibility and also like sort of the the creativity of like, oh, what is it I exactly want to do? Yeah. Like uh, and that that's OK, that I exactly want to do that thing and to go where the love is mm. like to if I don't feel comfortable in a space, a lot of times I don't do well at clubs. I just don't. Uh Instead of going, oh, you got to hammer it out, Bamford. You got to go. <laughs> it's like. I remember that was one of the first feelings I had about you when I first saw you. And it, it lasted for years. I'm like, she's going out to regular places <laughs> and doing that? <laughs> no, like, yes. I mean, she's a genius and they're just going to make, they're just going to hurt her. She's going to hurt yeah. herself every time. It's like every comedy club, it's like, where's the trauma center? Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to be tra- re-traumatized, please. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes that happened and, and certainly it still happens. I try to avoid doing benefits. Ugh, no winning. Would everyone stop eating, having art, <laughs> artistic performances on beha- that you have to suffer through on behalf of Parkinson's? What's yeah? What's the point? Um, but I yeah, I did a re- uh, schizophrenia research uh, uh, nonprofit benefit, and uh, turns out the guy who hired me, big fan. Because yeah. he has schizophrenia. Mono to mono. Totally hear you, man. <laughs> the people he's trying to get money from are uh, wino ladies in mm. Napa Valley. Sure. And then I sunk like a stone. You did? Oh, my God, yes. It was just it was abysmal. Were, but were they like, is she a patient? They started <laughs> uh, clapping me off stage. In a, It was either that they thought I was done or they hoped I was done. Oh. I, I still had about 20 minutes left, and so I said, I uh, gotta do, gotta do the time. And uh, so I, sorry. It's so funny that we grew up in that. But I will, but yeah. I will bring up Howie Mandel, who is what everybody wanted to say. Oh, he was there? <laughs> yeah. But no, but I have that same ethic. And it's yeah. weird because I still, like, I go to the comedy store, 
you know, three times a week just to stay in shape. Nice. And then, but the difference between doing that and then doing Dynasty with my people is profound. Yes. But I still believe that I need to have my chops in order, my club chops. And I, I don't know when that goes away, but I've questioned it. But there's also part of me that, you know, at the comedy store, I do something where it's sort of like you start doing 15 or 20 new minutes and you kind of really kind of work it and you kind of feel like, well, I figured out this way to do a, a joke efficient set that's yes. varied and it's that's the job. And I think we have that in our head that like the job is you go make strangers laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And you're up there for 50 minutes. Yes. At the least. Yes. And it doesn't matter if the if the they like the middle better. Yeah. No. Well, and I've often switched with the middle uh, mm. halfway through the week. I couldn't do that. I'll go up there and take the hit. <laughs> and if, if I if, if I'm not doing well, I'll do longer. Oh. <laughs> I will sit down and we'll just all sit in it. Yeah. We'll sit in my wound for an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, well, I can totally appreciate that. I love watching Andy Kindler when he is um, yelling at people as they yeah. run out the yeah. run out the door. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how he's doing. I sometimes worry about him. They're not getting out of the house enough. Oh, oh but um, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's all right. Got to contact him. Yeah, just say hi. Uh, I sometimes see him on on what's left of Twitter. So the artist way gave you the sort of strength to realize you were yes. doing a thing and you could do it on your terms. And what I wanted to do, and also. I I could, that I could start saying that I was doing it, and um, it didn't matter if anybody else thought I was doing it, and yeah. So, and then some people might say, "Oh, that's mania," but <laughs> but it's also it was very helpful. Um, but you talk about mania and stuff like I don't know. I, I I'm not clear on the difference between you know dopamine and joy, and uh, like I, I I you know there's a lot of ways to break stuff down, but I, but mania you you've had it. Well, I've had hypomania where it's like I feel driven, where I yeah. feel like pressured speech. I need to do this. I need to tell everybody about this thing, and I need to tell everybody the thing, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. And yeah. Okay, so like, like uh, yeah, definitely seemed a little off. Now, so it seems like those are the big ones: OA, Artist Way, Debtors Anonymous, and then like I'm right at the book, and I felt bad because I think you'd appreciate it. Like I, I. Like, I like, you know, I know you, but I'd like to know the book. The book has a, a lot of funny in it, a lot of food in it, and but a lot of helpful stuff, a lot of honesty about your process. But, but, um, but like, I didn't finish it because, and I realized, like, it's something I do. I remember when I was in uh, junior high, like, I, I tried to read because I didn't for the entire year. I had tried to read the entire Chronicles of Narnia in a weekend. Oh my lord! So I could, you know, write a paper about it, and uh, it, it didn't happen. Yeah. So, but I, but I did get through a lot of your book. But the, I'm right up to the point where the the book is is, is called uh, "Sure, I'll Join Your Cult," and the framework is that you know the family is the first cult, yeah, and and then onward through actual cults. Mm-hmm. Though you did not seem to join any cults that were specifically exploitive financially. Uh yeah, I, I've invited. I was invited to sure. be a part of a couple, but yeah, um, yeah, but I don't. And this may be a joke, but I do think if you don't have access to mental health care, or you might want to consider joining yeah. the Jehovah Witnesses just for a week. <laughs> yeah, you know, just go all in. Yeah, get all the free uh, mac and cheese, and but then you're uh, handing out magazines. You know, yeah, you're... but it's just a week. Then you pull out. Right. And I think the endorphin rush, yeah. you know, 
going in and going out might really <laughs> shake something loose. Shake something loose. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm right up to the point of the, 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 the breakdown. I guess it's the first real breakdown where you yes. end up hospitalized. Yes. Which I've told that story so many times before. Well, you don't have to tell that story, but how many times were you hospitalized? Just three. <laughs> Listen, Mark, it's not many times. <laughs> when was the last time? <laughs> it was 2011. Really? Yeah. So it's been a long time. I've, I've been on uh, mood stabilizers uh, and uh, antipsychotic for uh, eleven years. And that, eleven, twelve, twelve years. And they've got it balanced because I, you know, I knew other people that there was that weird thing when psychopharmaceuticals uh, that treated these things were fairly new. Rick Shapiro, in particular, I used oh. to, yeah, I used to see Rick, you know, and you wouldn't see him for a while, and then you'd see him be like, I, I don't know what's going on, but I think I'm on the wrong meds, <laughs> you know. So, so there was just a. You know, a process of finding the right meds. Oh, there. I mean, it's. I'm getting a new psychiatrist right uh, as we speak. I have a new appointment. Uh-huh. Uh But because my current psychiatrist is like, he does text appointments. He goes, oh, this is. He'll text me and yeah. say, this counts as an appointment. I'm like, yeah. is that what you're telling yourself? Because yeah. I don't think that's real. But uh, well, there's a whole thing with healthcare right now where it's like, you know, I, you, you've got the portal on your phone because yes. you're at the app. Yeah. And that's how they're sort of giving cancer diagnoses. <laughs> Did you check the results in the portal? I'm like, can I just talk to the doctor? Well, you can do all this online now. Yeah, not good. You know, numbers are not good. Can I talk to the doctor now? We'll set up an appointment. <laughs> that is so interesting. The portal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go to the portal. Go to the portal. So, but, but so the hospitalizations, outside of telling the story about the first breakdown again, the the you knew enough the second two times that you were. You were in trouble? Oh, yeah. yeah like, I was not feeling uh, – I, I – when I feel uh, – what I re- the difference between suicidal ideation and planning to kill yourself, yeah. I now know that. Okay. I go, it was unbearable every single moment. Uh, just for whatever reason, my brain uh, went a little off the rails and just – it was – it was it was monstrous, you know. So I totally get it when people commit suicide now. I just yeah. go, oh man, uh, I'm amazed you last as long as you did, because uh, it, it's it can it's really bad, you know. It's uh, so, and I have a section of that in the book, like not not like oh great, go do it, yeah. Um, but but just like don't be such an ass if somebody does it, like and and go oh you should have. It's like yeah. you have no idea yeah what. What and a lot of times gave. people don't, and they feel guilty. Yeah, that because so much of that is 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 hidden, and people are just sucking it up and going through that without help, and yeah. then they make that decision. And people who know them are like, I, I, we didn't. She, no idea. She seemed to do was doing better, doing great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it also it's an impulsive act. So sometimes you know it's, it happens in all sorts of different ways. I read but, the greatest um, article about it about guns, but it was an article about. Uh, the type of natural gas they use for the stoves in England. It was a study they did. Mm-hmm. That do you know this one? <laughs> no, but is it? Yeah, that the, had much less uh, suicides because they changed the gas. Yes. <laughs> you, you, the other one was a lot more toxic, and yeah. people could just stick their head in the oven. But this one didn't work that well. Yeah. So, but a lot of the people that planned to didn't. But it, so the argument was like, if there's not a gun there. The odds are you're not going to blow your head off. That's the first thing they say when you are a, uh, you know, on a suicide uh, counselor on the on telephone or whatever. They say, you know, can you? Is there a way you can uh, take whatever 
object, you know, whether it's razors or yeah. and put them in a place where you can't see them or in another room because, yeah, make it a, a little more safe. Right. So so you knew enough to commit yourself. Uh, uh, no, I didn't. My friends said, hey, you know when you told us about your family having mental health problems and if you talk a little too fast, maybe, you know, I would joke about it, like mm-hmm. saying, if I ever start going mental, just let me know, give yeah. me a ride. And uh, they said, it's happening. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And, All three times? Uh, the third time it was uh, my therapist, uh, 5150'd me, like she was just, and I, I and I'm glad just because... Once you are hospitalized, sometimes they start sending you home with all sorts of meds. I mean, I had, I could have killed myself any day of the week. Yeah. Like I had, and I, and I, yeah, and I was considering doing it because there is that sense. Also, like with any chronic illness, like this is not ending. There's no end to this. Yeah. So, and, and no one's, I don't have any confidence that it will end. Um, Your mentals. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. the mentals. But I think chronic pain, I mean, people deal with this stuff all the time. Uh, So So knowing that and knowing that there was help available. Uh, I was just grateful. Yeah, she, I I said, can you promise that you're not going to do anything tonight when I let you home? And I was like... No, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I feel terrible now. Yeah, um, and um, <laughs> yeah. and so yeah. Then I went into that hospital. Yeah. I went through an outpatient program two times in Glendale and Venice Medical Center, mm. where they're uh, vegetarians because of the Adventist thing. Oh, and then they have a little gong that goes off and they say a prayer oh. three times a day. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And yeah, gongs was, are nice. Gongs. Well, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was. I think it was a bell. It's like oh. a gong, gong. Oh. And uh, the good thing about the hospital, which has so many problems, is that it's uh, you're sort of safe. Uh, you're s- sort of safe from harming yourself. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's not totally possible. You could figure something out. <laughs> There's a rubber but, but, rubber curtain that could be made into a noose. Yeah, yeah. but the o- odds are better. Yeah, odds yeah. are better. And uh, and it helped, and uh, and but you brought a help. bunch of meds home, and you, what there was. A, I tossed uh, those uh, eventually, yeah, because the second time I went through the outpatient treatment pro- program, I finally became willing to go on this old timey medication, Depakote. Oh yeah, my dad that, was on that, right? Yeah. yeah, and part of the side effects are weight gain, and which I did experience, and I just never wanted to go on it. I just didn't want to go on it because of weight gain. Yeah, and so I decided to go on it, and it was, and that's the thing that helped. Yeah. That and the, the Seroquel. And, um, yeah, I haven't – I know it's – I hate – this is the thing people yeah. do in Los Angeles where they'll be like, you know what? I have a psychopharmacologist who's amazing. Yeah. And you see them – he's on a helicopter pad in uh, Malibu from 2 to 3 p.m. And he takes – he does like a $5,000 – you have to send him $5,000 in Canadian at, through Zelle. Um, but – yeah, so I don't have the greatest care. Like, I'm sure there's some other med I could be on that would be, be- better or because, uh, like, I have to take a propanopol to perform so that I don't shake my way off stage. Oh, yeah, that beta blocker? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, but maybe there is. But the truth is, is like management is where you want to be. Right. Exactly. I mean, and, and ultimately, this idea of, you know, being perfect kind of drifts away after a certain age where you're yeah. sort of like, can we just get me? manageable yeah 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I just want to be able to enjoy a hot fudge sundae. Uh, or four. Or four. <laughs> and um, and uh, fall asleep into my soup. Yeah. But, um, but it seems like, you know, in talking about your relationships, and I remember the guy from New Zealand. I remember yes, him. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, but it seems like this guy is uh, you know definitely the guy, the oh. guy you're with now. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, because Scott, the thing is, is both of us knew that we had you know yeah. serious problems. Like he had never had a relationship last. I think it's over. I think his record was two years. Yeah, one was one. Yeah, and he said. Let's do this. Let's go to therapy. Let's yeah. do everything. And I was like, right on. You know, like somebody. That, that's all I wanted is like somebody to to love and be loved by at that point in my life. And it, I think that was as a result of being hospitalized, of like seeing people in the hospital with yeah. schizophrenia, yeah. with major mental health issues, who were married. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This guy's making cuckoo noises. Yeah, and uh, and, and he's, he's still got, got three kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's fine. He's making it work. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, well, I mean, it it seems like a, a pretty uh, yeah, because like I, I I didn't like I, I know that what we're leading towards in the book, even though I didn't finish it, it there's no like you know button on it. No, no, <laughs> and it's like, I guess I'm good. Yeah. Oh my god, and I'm not gonna write one of those memoirs where they go, guess what. <laughs> totally wrong, that last memoir. <laughs> now I'm doing something completely different uh, because unless unless somebody asks, uh, gives me money. I like <laughs> <laughs> Even though you don't need it. I don't need it, but I love to get it. <laughs> but And also the fact that the, the, all the stuff about your sister who gave up being a, a uh, an MD to become a, a shaman, spiritual, uh, holistic healthcare provider— right. That uh, where's that show? Right. Well, she she's pitched it. She's pitched it. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. That wasn't in Lady Dynamite, was it? No no. And I think it, it's a really personal thing. I think it's so ripe, very easy to make fun of. Uh, you know. I'm it, talking about the two of you. The two of us. I'm not just talking about her character. I mean, just the difference in you know your approaches. Yeah, my sister's hilarious. Yeah. Um, I. We have tried to do some work together, yeah. and it's just—I think it's hard. Like I have a—I have a younger, the younger sister point of view, where I just go, "Stop, stop it! <laughs> Why won't you let me? I'm doing something cool too." <laughs> the 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 thing, the scene in the book where you start doing push-ups. Yes, I mean that—that that was recently. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> My sister and my dad were talking about something on the porch, yeah. and um, they're like all into it. And yeah. I was like, saw, for some reason, I just thought, I just, I need this. And I got down on the porch and started doing push-ups. <laughs> and I, I think I did it like five times. Yeah. And my sister said, without stopping their conversation, I can do ten push-ups, and I do them every day. It's a really good way to start the day. <laughs> and then I got down and did ten more push-ups. Um, <laughs> And it's just because the conversation wasn't enough about you. Yeah, yes, of course. <laughs> now, there's a reason I got into comedy is because uh, I enjoy uh, eyes on eyes over here. Mm -hmm. uh, so, well, I like uh, talking to you and listening Thanks. to you. Thanks, man. And Thanks. and also, but the but the book, like, it was really like uh, provocative to me because I'm like, man, I gotta got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, never too late. Never too late. No, there's always some new, fresh, uh, f fresh thing to 
get into. I so guess. Where, where are you at with stand up? Like that, the hour this that we were doing up there, because I did my special. And I guess you probably put that in the can somehow. Uh, uh, the yes, Toronto. put that in the can. Yes, I did. And uh, yeah, just keep going. I'm just going to keep going. One thing that I'm excited about, I trained, I'm training uh, to be a peer specialist, which is a new thing. If you have lived experience with mental health or addiction issues, you can uh, be a paid peer specialist in almost every state in, in our country. Um, it usually pays like about 20 30 an hour. What, you mean you hang around with the person and go like, nope, don't? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's a specific philosophy, So, but it's funded uh, federally and state-wide uh, with uh, to for emergency groups, because now instead of sending the cops out, yeah. a lot of states have emergency mental health teams. Oh. And so, uh, anyways, so anybody interested in doing that, there's probably a training thing near you. I just did an 80-hour training, and it's free. And yeah. All you have to do is uh, ask for a scholarship. Um, I did not. I paid for it because guess what? You got some money. I'm rich. Yeah, good for you. I know. I saw in the book that it looks like you're doing all right. <laughs> doing all right. <laughs> well, especially after my dad died. Yeah. Cash cow! <laughs> I love you, Dad. Really? He, so much. It's so funny. Both of my parents are relatively broke, and somehow or another I landed on my feet, and I can't. Like, now I give, give him money sometimes. My my mom told me when I was 35, she's like, oh, honey, we're not leaving you a dime. But then they both died early, which is super sad, and they uh, left a chunk of change. Oh, that's good. Uh, well, Did you put that in the book? Mm, what? Not I didn't know. No, I finished the book before I got my my dad passed. That's so sad. Um, but it really, it really does blow. Yeah. Um, but... That's what happens. Uh, How are you with the die. grief? Do you do it? Uh, yes. I think about my father. I did, my sister just sent me a tenth of my father in the mail uh, in a little plastic baggie. <laughs> yeah. With had some bone chips mm-hmm. so I could really think about him. Oh, good. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to spread that in the yard, you know. All right. Um, so if, you got the pug still? Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much Love for having me. Love seeing you. Thank you. Okay, that was a journey. Again, uh, Maria's memoir, Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, comes out September 5th. You can pre-order it now. And uh, would you hang out for a minute? Fucking Murphy's Law! Fucking. Hey, folks, for all those other WTF episodes with Maria, you can get her appearance on episode 809 for free on whatever app you're using right now. That's an episode where Maria came back to talk about her 2017 Netflix special. For the older episodes, you'll need a WTF Plus subscription. She's on episode 24, 148, and 412. Those are all live episodes. And then there's episode 72, one of the best episodes from the early years of WTF, which we recorded in my car. It was groundbreaking. I, I think I kept thinking, oh, well, I'm going to fix it, which is a totally good, like, I'm going to, I'm going to either do the right thing so the person won't have, uh, get enraged anymore, which was. He was I, a I, rager? Yeah, yeah, where I couldn't, I couldn't do the right thing. I couldn't figure out all the things that I needed to do to, 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 so it wouldn't happen again. But it would always keep happening. And then it was like, well, y- you know, uh, oh my and I, God. I, I'd learned to do, I it got better with it where I wouldn't react as much to it. And I would just kind of be like, oh, this person is. You tried to detach? Yeah, detach with love, you know, going like, a, mm. you know, just repeating back what they said and saying, I hear this is what you're saying. And, 
and but then it is so upsetting over time that it's like uh you know I I gotta let him go because I'm I'm feeling so feeling so bad but but also to say that that person is wonderful like has incredibly wonderful qualities and like and uh but I felt like I wasn't helping anymore like I was starting and also to, you, you felt probably it's emotional abuse yeah yeah and, and you start to lose touch with yourself lose touch with yourself and and also I, I felt like my own a possibility of me getting abuse you know of me going you know and it's like Oh God, you know, like I, yeah. So I, and I think some element of it was like that whole idea of I'm going to help somebody. Well, that's, that's my problem. I was the guy that would walk into an uncontrollable rage and, you know, not stop until, uh, my ex-wife was crying yeah. and then I'd feel bad and yeah. then I'd apologize, but it doesn't go away after a certain point in time. It doesn't go away. And I, from what I, I mean, I've read a bunch of books on it now. Oh, like, maybe you can help me. To hear that episode in every episode of WTF ad-free, get a WTF Plus subscription right now by clicking on the link in the episode description or by going to WTFpod.com and clicking on WTF Plus. Here we go. Some guitar. It's nice. Meditative, I think.
Boomer lives. Monkey and LaFonda cat angels everywhere.